Hello and welcome to Coin Talk. Uh, I did a promo for Coin Talk on my other show this week, and I described it as a show in which we make fun of Bitcoin. And I think that's probably the simplest way to understand it. Uh, we're brought to you in partnership with Medium. Medium has tons of great writing about crypto. I just read some actually. Uh, Brian Armstrong's. Uh, sorry, we hired um, uh, hacker villains. Uh, apology was on Medium. So if you're enjoying that kind of stuff, it's only five bucks a month to become a member. It supports all kinds of writers like this show, Brian Armstrong, and other people who could actually use the money probably more than Brian Armstrong. So uh, become a, uh, a member today. And uh, thanks to everyone over there. Here's the show. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, March 5th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $3,830. Hello, Jay. Yep. I alluded in the introduction to uh, Brian Armstrong's uh, Medium Apology Tour, which uh, is an enjoyable tour. It's nothing like the Jeff Bezos Tour de Force by uh, the uh, Inquirer and uh, engaging in a personal war with the president medium post. but Are those two comparable? Uh, it's a good oh, I question. I guess they're both on medium, you're right. No, they're both on medium. No, they're, they're, they are different. I feel like there's the defensive and the offensive uh, mm-hmm. medium post, and I appreciate both. I also appreciate all the great non-apology writing on media and, and everything they do, but there is something like particular to this age that like 50 years ago, the CEO would not like be apologizing on a personal uh, blog for um, hiring super hackers uh, to work yeah, at a you, company. When did that change? Do you remember the first time you read like the head of something writing a lengthy personal apology on the internet? It's a relatively modern phenomenon, I would say. Like, and I'm saying post social media. It wasn't like immediately social media came out and people were doing it. I think it's trying to get out in front of things, but it means yeah. that the apology is written in a like highly personal, almost directly to you tone. It somehow has not been in politics yet, because I guess the politicians generally just give press conferences or something, but the only like Beto O'Rourke, for example, was was doing his weird blog after he lost the election. So I don't know, maybe maybe the and then of course there's like the uh corollary to that in sports, which is the players' tribune, which is where like, you know, uh players get to write with the help of some editors whatever they want. I don't know. I, I think that uh I, I think there's probably a decent future going forward where this is the main way that big business leaders communicate with the public, right? Because they have full control over it. Like there's no there's no writer or reporter who's editorializing around it. It's literally just a block of text that says exactly what they want to say. And there's no comments section, which I think is uh, integral to the product design. I mean, I know that you can sort of like quote medium pieces, but there's not like a comment at the bottom of the Brian Armstrong one that's like, fuck you for ruining Satoshi's vision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think you can actually... Like you can turn them on, but yeah, the people generally don't. Like it's not the type of thing that is like uh, conducive to comments, even if comments can exist. If that makes sense, absolutely. Like some things are made for comments, and some things have comments and 
are kind of hidden. It's just funny to imagine like all of these CEOs through history. It's like you got like Henry Ford, like, I'd like to apologize for sending those Pinkerton uh, detectives to that union camp. That was regrettable. <laughs> it was it went against our values here. At <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man, they got a little look. Well, the thing that I will defend is the use of the Pinkertons to go there. But listen, I we did, did not, not know that the Pinkertons were associated with violence. Upon looking into their past, these guys have been involved in some shady stuff, and we won't be hiring them again. Okay, so that's a good segue, obviously, to the fir- I think the biggest story in crypto over the last couple of years, which is something that I even noticed in my sort of you know crypto chamber of isolation, which was that a lot of people were tweeting about delete Coinbase, and it it almost made it outside of the uh, crypto sphere, right? Like I, I saw a lot of mainstream publications writing about it as well. So like, what what was your sense of what delete Coinbase was? Well, this one was interesting for me because. I, I believe that David uh, Z. Morris from Breaker was the first person who wrote about it. Don't quote me on that. Don't at me. But I know that he DM'd me when he was writing about it. So it was the rare time that I came across a story before I saw how the audience was going to take the story. He sent it mm. to me like when he, I think it was maybe right when he published it or maybe even right. in Are a draft like- Secretly, the editor at large, or something of of Breaker Magazine. No, why they, secretly, why are they you articles before they're published? Probably so that well, no, it wasn't before it was published. It was right when it was published. Uh, but, okay, okay, but, okay, uh, okay, that's that's totally. Probably different. so we talk yeah. about it on the show, which they listen to. Shouts to our friends over at Breaker Mag, great magazine, writing about stuff like this that isn't always convenient for uh, crypto, but I Fair. think is good journalism. I, al- I also know that Matt Lysing, I think, wrote extensively about this. So it's been a, it's been a team effort. But uh, basically what they revealed was that Coinbase had acquired this company called Neutrino that is a blockchain analytics company. And what is a Neutrino? It's a good question. I think it's like a subatomic particle of, of yeah, some Yeah, and kind. it's like, isn't it, an, isn't it associated most... Most regularly with, with like superhero movies where neutrinos are the things that lead to mass mutations or something like that. That I'm not sure about. I think they're the smallest particles. So it, like people will say like you know he made himself infinitely small. He uh, you know oh, I see. Uh, like Ant Man into a neutrino or something. Neutral subatomic particle with a mass close to zero and half integral spin. Rarely reacting with normal matter. Yeah, okay. So that's what it is. Okay. Uh, to rewind, Neutrino is the name of the company. Neutrino's founding team, uh, their three executives, uh, were previously part of an organization that uh, I don't know if it's formerly or formally or informally known as Hacking Team uh, that sold extremely invasive hacking tools to frequently uh, authoritarian and repressive governments. I was a little bit skeptical when I first started reading this because I felt like maybe it was, you know, like opposition-type research stuff that somebody leaked who doesn't want Coinbase to do well. But then I read about this company that these guys used to be part of before they started Neutrino, and it's it's horrible. I mean, it's like the type of thing where if you're a journalist, because a lot of the stuff was doing spyware, in countries like fucking Sudan, yeah, to spy on, and then sometimes in the in those instances, like those people got killed. You know, it's like it's like literal abetting abetting like war crime stuff. So, 
There was a lot of similar stuff that came out earlier this year. It's a different company, but similar software uh, that was sold to the Mexican government that was very directly being used to spy on journalists' cell phones. A lot of these tools are basically just like for hacking telcos and cell phones. Yeah. More or less. Like these are black hat tools. And it... It's a weird pull and tug with these things because a lot of this technology is developed by governments. In some cases, these are tools that were developed by governmental agencies then hacked and are being resold to less rich governments with more authoritarian uh, policies because they don't have the uh, tools to develop their own black hat software. So it's a dirty world no matter what vantage point you're sitting at. Yeah, it's a, it's one where it's very difficult to like kind of do the well, that's how the world works and, you know, be an adult and and just deal with it type of thing because like this is definitely in the 1% I would say of bad companies, you know, it's not like something that's like kind of bad that uh, people can focus on the bad things they do and blow out of proportion. Like, th- this was a bad company. There, and uh, There's a certain person who's going to respond to something like this, but like, well, that's nothing compared to what the CIA does. And it's like, hey, I'm no fan of the CIA either. Yeah, exactly. Like, if the CIA was behind my Bitcoin wallet, I'd be like, no, thank you. Yeah, I'm going like, to do something else. And, and to their credit and discredit, Peter Thiel, who wouldn't, I think is probably a Coinbase investor at some level, like of shell companies, you know, has made billions and billions of dollars uh, building Palantir, which does things that are not exactly the same, but are, in my opinion, just as dirty. The one that feels weird here to me is I feel like spying and, uh, like invasion of privacy has become normalized in, uh, the tech community, but Bitcoin was supposed to be, uh, the antidote to that poison. Yeah. And that's, I think that if this had happened in any other community, except the crypto community, that uh, it wouldn't have, like, I think somebody probably would have made a stink about it, but it certainly wouldn't have reached the heights that Delete Coinbase did. I think that what it is is that, I mean, Coinbase has tens of millions of customers, so obviously you you don't want to make a statement about, like, who their customer base is. But their more powerful and vocal customer base, clearly, you know, like, this type of thing is completely anathema to what they believe in. And so I, I think that's part of the reason why it became a big deal, because, like, there's literally nothing less crypto than a fucking spyware company that, like, sells out, you know, like, anybody practicing free speech or, or, or like, or journalism or any expression of their First Amendment rights and that sometimes can lead to, like, you know, like, murder to, like, uphold a oppressive regime. I mean, that's that's, like, about as anti-crypto as you can get. Can I pause you here and say, is this really an anathema to what Coinbase does? No, no, not to what Coinbase does, but what crypto is. What crypto is. It feels like what Coinbase, Coinbase's corporate ambitions are increasingly at odds with even lip service to the stated ideals of crypto. I know. I mean, it feels more and more to me like the stated ideals of the crypto movement and the ambitions of Coinbase have almost no overlap. Um, Explain. I don't disagree with you, but I want to hear this. I'm going to read from Brian Armstrong's uh, message after he let the members of Neutrino, who were previously part of the hacking team, go. He says, 
Until recently, we worked with several outside vendors that provide blockchain analytics, as most exchanges do. However, <laughs> first of all, LOL, as, as most exchanges do. However, they didn't support all the assets we wanted to have on our platform, so we knew at some point that we would need to bring this capability in-house. We examined the players and found that Neutrino had some of the best technology in this area and decided to acquire them. Uh, <laughs> no shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let me uh, let me translate this from um, double speak to uh, the truth for uh, for our listeners. Uh, we were pretty good at spying on people who were using Bitcoin and Ethereum, but as we branched out further into the shitcoin realm, we needed some hackers who were good at tracking people on all those blockchains too. Yes, I agree with that completely. Do you know how like if you use Bitcoin from Coinbase to do anything shady, like if you send it to any wallet that might be shady at all, they shut down your account. Yep. And this includes stuff like, you know, like gray market, which, and honestly, <laughs> it's like closer to, closer to okay and legal than it is black market stuff. Like, you know, like sports betting places, which, you know, advertise on, you know, on the radio, on ESPN, like you can't send Bitcoin there without them shutting down your account. And so this seemed like, hey, you know who's really good at finding people? Those guys who got all those people killed in Sudan. <laughs> you know, well, I bet they'll be able to figure out if somebody is sending like bat to like somebody somewhere that you know just allows small bets for for. I mean, this is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, for the future blocking of like bat to Nazi sites. Yeah, I think that's like probably <laughs> oh, that's accurate. being kind to them. That's, yeah, being, that's hey, that's my bullish take on this. My bearish take is. This isn't really just about like stopping you from using a some gambling site. I love Jay. I love that you're saying it's legit. It advertises on ESPN Radio. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that they have standards? Hundred percent. <laughs> anything could advertise on ESPN Radio, particularly like online gambling sites. I do not think are inherently outside of the gray market because they advertise on uh, ESPN Radio. But well, well, my uh, my I, that was a correction mid sentence. My original was going to be that they advertise on Barstool. Um, <laughs> I don't, actually don't even know if they advertise on ESPN Radio. <laughs> we probably shouldn't slander ESPN Radio. Wow, Jay, I like that you just outed yourself as a Barstool listener, though. Brave. I listen to uh, I listen to part of my take, which I think is very funny and it's a good show. It's a good know? show. Yeah, it's a great show. Um, okay, I, I don't really have the same problems that. We don't have to go. We don't have to go. Into no, this. You, I mean, I look, wrote you, a long article about it. If you want to know all of Jay's thoughts on barstool sports, there is a New York Times Magazine article that I can. I'll uh, we'll put a link to in the show notes. But okay, so they want to spy on people probably as deeply as they can. I mean, we know that the blockchain is uh, perhaps a truth machine, but it is not a privacy machine. Like if you're standing where Coinbase is, which is knowing what wallets are paired with what people, and you can triangulate transactions that way, you're pretty damn close to a um, with identities uh, social graph of the entire crypto internet. Yeah, can I ask you a question, though? What percentage of people on Coinbase, let's say Coinbase has 10 million users, right? Yeah. What percentage of those users do you think have ever made a Bitcoin transaction? Like even moved it for, to a different wallet. I gotta think it's a minority. Minority meaning like forty percent or or like five percent. I would I would say more like ten percent. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was my thought. It was like it's probably about ten percent or less. Yeah, you know, I don't think it could. I don't think it's anywhere close to twenty percent. You know, um, and so uh, what really are they tracking? Well, it's funny that also like they do something wildly risky to get neutrino, which is probably so that they can like track like BSV transactions or like. Or like Zcash or Zcash is again generous. Like it's probably because Neutrino has expertise in the 190 shit coins that Coinbase <laughs> intent has a roadmap of introducing over the next two years. Yeah. Uh, it probably has almost nothing to do with Bitcoin. I, I would assume that they've already mastered tracking BTC around. And I think we know this because during the whole Quadriga scandal, which I am still waiting to do my tell-all video about, Jay, new stuff is breaking. We got to do a Quadriga episode. I know. Will you you consent to it? Yes, I consent to it. Okay. I will break out the green screen. I make no no decisions anymore based on my journalistic reputation. I've decided to just let that go. Jay is retired as a journalist, uh, (laughs) full-time commentator now. (laughs) <laughs> so anyway, um, Brian Armstrong released some information on Quadriga that basically said, we have this evidence based on these wallet movements. And those are wallet movements between Coinbase accounts and Quadriga accounts, which a significant amount of uh, uh, transit must have occurred between them, that uh, these are their cold storage wallets and they were already short huge, huge amounts of Bitcoin and other currencies long before Gerald Cotton ever maybe traveled to India and died and uh, lost the private keys, which supposedly had $190 million worth. Okay, so the fact that Brian Armstrong, with no inside information about Quadriga, other than what he can see from Coinbase's villainous analytics lair, suggests that they're already pretty deep in terms of at least the major assets, I would think. Can I ask you a slightly related question off of that? Sure. What do you think would happen if there actually was a mass movement away from Coinbase? Well, look, Gemini is running subway ads, which I see on the approximately one time a month I ride the subway. That's not because I'm like too fancy for the subway. That's because I don't go anywhere. Uh the one time a month I, I ride the subway, like you see these Gemini ads. I've seen them in bus stops too. Can't even remember what the slogan is, but it's basically like crypto for grownups. Someone what does that ha- mean? It's like someone had to make it legit. I'm going to fuck it up. I'm looking it up. Gemini subway ad. Finally, a regulated place to buy, sell, and store crypto. Crypto without chaos. There you go. Money has a future. What follows the revolution? Question mark. These are all ads that okay. showed up. You, you get the gist. Crypto. Uh, uh, what was it? What follows chaos? Crypto without chaos. Crypto without chaos. Okay. So money has a future. What do all these things tell me? It tells me that Gemini is also like positioning themselves as sort of nannies uh, to your account. And uh, I'm guessing that if a bunch of people delete Coinbase, Gemini is probably the prime beneficiary in the U.S.? Yeah, maybe. I think that the Cash App probably is pretty stiff competition for them at this point. And also, uh, I guess all all the places that were supposed to come from Japan and abroad, I don't think they've gotten really a foothold yet. Yeah. But obviously there would be some international competition as you and I say every single time, the winner will be the one who makes the most pleasant and easy 
UX experience than right now. I think that the Cash App probably has a leg up on it. I, I, I want to say this, though. Like, these slogans are terrible. Are they, though? I mean, okay, they're bad. Yeah, finally, <laughs> a regulated place to buy, sell, and store. And as, an, as an ad critic, I'm not sold by them. Like, I, but- I, all I'm saying is that... You and I could uh, probably make some money selling uh, taglines to Gemini. A hundred percent. All of these crypto companies could use this. Uh, Brian Armstrong could also hire you to make his apology letter not seem like it was written by a robot. But um, (laughs) in general, I think what they're signaling with these poorly written ads is very clear, which is Gemini is like the fidelity or like the, you know, it's the uh, Robin Hood for the younger generation or whatever. Well, not Robin Not Robin Hood. Robin Hood's yeah. a bad one. What What are like really, res- what are the responsible well, it's financial like, It's like apps? the Goldman Sachs or Goldman something. Goldman Sachs, you know? yeah, et cetera. Yeah. And so like, I think Coinbase is uh, being dumb by acquiring Neutrino, but the overall sentiment that these companies are trying to convey is we're going to do this in the most grown up way possible, which probably is to spy on everyone. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like listen, we know how the world works, you know. Like, I mean, uh, we, I, we're just gonna steal your information and sell it to uh, Russia. I can I can yes. I say like just that my second response to these ads. Who is this targeted for? Finance dudes who are like looking for their first BTC buy. Oh my god! It, it just seems it's New York reactive and dumb. Like, I'm 39 years old. You're 38 years old, is that right? Seven, 37. 37 years old. Most of my well, friends I'll say are once in... again, don't dox me, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've already been doxed and hacked. <laughs> um, our, most of my friends are lawyers or professionals in their 40s and 30, late 30s. And the ones that are into crypto are not into it to act like adults. Like they're into it because it makes them feel young and, you know, distracts them from like the endless process of like getting old and lame. Yeah. And so I don't really think that this is the right messaging either because like it takes all the fun out of crypto. Like at at this point, if you're the type of person who is on the subway, let's say you're going to uh, the Wall Street stop on the four from like, you know, Barclays Center and, and so you have like 20 minutes on the subway and you make like $400,000 a year and you have a lot of money and it's all saved away. Why do you care about crypto? The only thing that you know about crypto is that it's highly volatile, it's probably stupid, and that it crashed, you know? Like the idea that that there's an adult way that's backed by the Winklevi to invest in crypto like i just don't get who that appeals to like i think what would appeal to that guy is like hey you want to do some gambling you know like do you want to do have something fun like i i I just don't get this messaging at all i'm going to take the opposite tact which is to say we know that fidelity um we know about jp morgan coin we can assume that most of these uh responsible adult financial management sites probably are looking at adding Bitcoin in the next few years. Like, we just know that there's a bunch of activity. I don't, some of them are not, some of them are, but like custodial crypto stuff, if not outright selling you Bitcoin, at least holding your Bitcoin, I have to believe is coming. And, and probably our listeners will tell us it's already been announced in, in certain cases. So you think, okay, well, Gemini is now needing to compete with those people. That's like the... um uh, sound business 
uh, move. But the like, go big or go home, we're the Winklevi, and we have 8% of the Bitcoin supply or something. We're like, we want to be Jeff Bezos' vision. Is not that simply they compete with Fidelity to be the custodial account for your Bitcoin, but they just start selling stocks and they become the new financial center. They become a new big bank, right? Like, I think the maximalist vision of Bitcoin isn't that Bitcoin goes inside the financial system. It's the financial system moves over to these Bitcoin exchange accounts. Okay, but that, I mean, I don't disagree with that. I just don't. You know, it's not realistic. No, it's no, it's not that it's not realistic. I just don't know what this message does to to do that. You know, like one of their ads is "Crypto needs rules." <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with like, you. Like, who is that? Who is that tailored to? You know, like, hey, look. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you crazy guys. It seems like all you guys who got super rich off it, including us. You know, like, listen, it's time for some rules. I mean, like, good lord, this is bad. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. In so far as like, we brought up Robinhood in there, and like, when you look at like. Robinhood or Cash App or any of these sort of like newfangled money as an app services, those feel a lot closer to like a fun consumer vision that becomes where everyone stores all their money, whether they're in a responsible person or not, than like sort of brow beady, like blockchain analytics. Like both Coinbase and Gemini, I'm kind of like, well, like, what are you doing? Like, what kind of a foot forward are you putting? No, I agree. And I, okay, generally speaking, you and I have been doing this now for like uh, 18 months almost, right? Yes. And uh, which is actually one say, decade in crypto time. <laughs> yeah. <We've>, <laughs> we're, we're like, <laughs> we're like 72 in crypto years. Yeah. I, I look, I, I, and I don't think that the people who run these things are stupid. They're obviously like some smart people there. But I also think that they, these companies are generally, run by like, you know, they're like, they're not democracies. They're not run by like a board that has a lot of experience. I think because the whole space is so new that people, the people in charge are probably making the big decisions. Do you think that's true? Like, do you think Brian Armstrong and the Winklevi probably make most of the decisions? Yeah, I mean, I think that's generally the like startup tech VC model and everything, which is like, you just give the keys to the person, you bet on the entrepreneur, not the idea. And like, it's a cult of personality. With with a close inner circle of advisors who are usually like people who have other successful tech exits, like uh, I think Balaji is the guy at Coinbase now. So I would imagine that it's not like a dictatorship, but that it's like a tight inner libertarian circle of a few. Yeah, I, I guess I just don't really understand the choices that they make. If you do compare it to something like. Robin Hood, which you know, will never say it out loud, but allow all sorts of crazy shit to happen on the sides on Reddit and things like that, where Robin Hood makes itself seem like, hey, if you want to do some crazy fucked up options trading and go hundred X or go broke, like this is the way to do it. Like that's their main messaging, I think. I just don't understand why crypto wouldn't do that as well. Like, you know, like, hey, do you think gambling is fun? Like, you know, or options trading is fun? Like, this is even more fun. And then build a bunch of you know semi legal uh, financial products to make it even more degenerate. Like that, that's what I would do at least if I was running a crypto exchange. I, I think that's what's happening. I mean, I think we we're already seeing it happening. I'm just saying that I think that 
the more valuable, if you assume that what you're going to do is going to win, it's more valuable to win the like grown up brokerage than the like BitMEX leverage trading. I, I, the leverage trading stuff sounds like a great business to me. I'm sure you're going to like make out like a bandit doing it, but like the VC, like I want to be one of the richest people in America path, which I do believe both the Winklevise and Brian Armstrong in some ways do is to build, like, the next financial institution. Okay, fair. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to read just a little bit more of Brian Armstrong's apology letter that I, I won't, I won't uh, torture you this uh, too much longer. Uh, we had a gap in our diligence process. While we looked hard at the technology and security of the Neutrino project, we did not properly evaluate everything from the perspective of our mission and values as a crypto company. We took some time to dig further into this over the past week, and together with the Neutrino team have come to an agreement. Those who previously worked at Hacking Team, despite the <laughs> fact they have no current affiliation with Hacking Team, will transition out of Coinbase. That's my favorite part of it because... <laughs> First of all, it's great that it's called Hacking Team. They can't. Uh, that's my favorite part. They have to keep saying it. It's like supervillains. Yeah. Everyone who worked at the Bank Robbers Academy will no longer be allowed to work at this bank. <laughs> it also like makes their statement seem so absurd because they're like, listen, we made this big acquisition. We we're really excited about it. And we did all of our due diligence but when we looked at their uh, resumes, we saw last place of employment, hacking team. <laughs> and we didn't think anything about it. We weren't like, hey, what is this hacking team? Could it be a team that hacks? <laughs> yeah, it's just fantastic. It's like we're a sophisticated company that is trying to figure out how to spy even on the users of shit coins. But we were unable to Google now, I want to say the it's not like Neutrino employed members of Hacking Team. Neutrino is founded by members of Hacking Team. It's just Hacking Team, and they rebranded. So the, the people <laughs> that they're saying they let go are the three executives. Like, they are the people who were on the LinkedIn page for Neutrino, which literally may have included, I, don't, I haven't looked at their LinkedIn page, that their previous employer was Hacking Team, as you said. Like, there's no way to make this mistake. You didn't care. Yeah, they just didn't <laughs> care. And they definitely knew. And I, I think that makes Brian Armstrong's statement even more ridiculous. Look, we have no idea what is in Brian Armstrong's heart or head, but, I mean, come on. Like, do you really believe that it that they didn't look into these guys' backgrounds? I mean, it's insane. The stuff that they were asking them to do was shady enough, you know? And of course you're gonna, you're a multi-billion dollar company. Of course you're gonna look into these guys' backgrounds. I'm sure they know everything about these guys. And uh, to say like we had a gap in our due diligence, we didn't look at the second line of their, <laughs> their resume where it said hacking team. Like, come on. I also think about the uh, sort of like basic premise here uh, of like doing due diligence is like they're basically getting these guys so that they can know what their customers are doing, but they have absolutely no problem with working with people who are involved in all this shady shit. And like, that's the people who are useful in crypto. Like we've seen this over and over again, like uh, the Quadriga story. It was like a guy who had been running this shady Liberty reserve exchange previously and was involved in like a hacking, like the people who have the skills to do the things that a big spying Facebooky company in crypto would want to do are mostly criminals or gray gray market 
advertises on ESPN radio, but is still maybe a criminal. Hey, Barst- it was Barstool. Barstool, okay. Uh, to be fair, too. Um, to be fair to... So, Jay, uh, I, I was um, trying to pull that quote from Medium, which caused me to click back into Brian Armstrong's uh, Medium history. Yeah. And can I read you the titles of his blog posts over the nine months? They're an amazing, like, crypto time capsule. Okay. The first one, this is about nine months ago. This is so... The, we're already off the high. Crypto has crashed. Just introducing givecrypto.org. That's Brian Armstrong's crypto charity in which the charity has to hodl. Oh, is that was that in response to maybe the dumbest thing that he's ever said in his life, which was uh, that he wishes that all charities would who he gave crypto to would never sell that crypto because obviously crypto can only go up, and if they were smart, then <laughs> they would keep all of it. <laughs> Not only that, but this post is from after the crash of Ethereum. So it's basically oh like God. saying like, like I mean, I guess that was a good time to be like buying into like uh, crypto, give it eternal hodling. But uh, sure. Jesus, it just, it seems like a different time. Okay, this is yeah. another one. This one is fantastic. Um, this is like, sometimes his posts are kind of like, um, like CEO, like self-helpy. And they're like lessons of a CEO. This is the title. Bar razors at Coinbase. If you're not a hell yes, you're a no. Oh my God. And that's about how they only hire A players, like no mediocre people here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the hacking team <laughs> who are very effective in like outing like uh, journalists in Sudan to be killed. All right. Next one ahead. is 50 lessons from HP's company culture. Okay. I just think it's funny that this is like a person who's blogging about company culture. Here's one idea for improving morale and resolve among your staff. Uh, don't hire known criminals. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who could potentially maybe not be charged with a war crime, but forced to testify at a war crimes trial. That <laughs> We're gonna get might be not the it, might, team. <laughs> might not be in the company culture that you're looking for. Okay, here's the next one. Okay. Chris Dodds. Charles Schwab board member is joining Coinbase's board. So there's like all of this signaling of like, we're grownups now. We're like a company like HP or Charles Schwab at the same time as I'm hiring villains to spy on my users. I mean, I guess that is like the modern tech CEO culture, but, uh, and then, uh, of course the last one, uh, living up to our values and the neutrino acquisition. So uh, a wild nine months uh, for Brian Armstrong and the team over. And the nine months before that were wild too. Remember last time when there was a bull run and uh, Coinbase just kept crashing in the middle in strategic ways? Yeah, yeah. I, that was, I, I was not a truther about that sort of stuff, but uh, there certainly were. And now in retrospect, uh, about a year later, I mean, maybe more than a year later, right? It does seem a little bit sketchy. Can, can I read you one last thing about sure. uh, about the hacking team that I thought was really funny? In 2015, their Twitter account was was hacked by somebody who said that they had breached their computer systems and they put a lot of their stuff out there. And this is where people showed that they had like invoiced the Lebanese army and Sudan and that they had spo- sold spy tools, which, you know, some people think are weapons to places like Kazakhstan and Bahrain. 
as part of it, they they put out some of the passwords for the hacking team's employees, and uh, <laughs> it's like password with a four instead of the A. <laughs> Wolverine all lower all lowercase, <laughs> and Universo, <laughs> I, like no capitals in any of it. Um, I think that's pretty funny, especially the Wolverine. I want to say one last uh, also insulting thing about uh, Hacking Team, a subsidiary of Coinbase Inc., which is you might be sitting there thinking, well, that stuff is evil, but like they're probably genius hackers to be able to develop all this stuff. Like These guys are, are great at what they do. Not the case. These are not tools that they necessarily developed. These guys are like um, black market wares sellers, like selling yeah, pirated yeah. movies on the internet. They, the yeah. reason they're mad this dude leaked their shit is because that was their fucking goods that they sell. It doesn't mean they made them. They're just dealing in black market spy tools and selling them to governments because governments don't know how to buy and sell this stuff. Like yeah, their talent is, if anything, is connections and being unscrupulous. So I mean, look, they, these are I don't really. If you believe that uh, Ross Ulbricht should be in prison, I think you should also believe that people who sell dark web spyware tools should be in prison. Yeah, I don't know if there are many people who would have those conflicting beliefs, but I agree that those are consistent. But it's crazy that we're having to talk about don't employ people who I'm like don't have anything to do with slash potentially prosecute people. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I, I, I think that if you sell spy, spy tools to foreign governments to, you know, upend any type of, you know, de democratic processes that are going in that country, that you are essentially selling weapons to that country and that you should be thought of both in the public sphere and in the legal system, as somebody who has done that. And I, I don't really understand what the argument against that would be. So uh, good job, Coinbase. I have a question, last question before we move on from this, Aaron. Are you going to delete your Coinbase account? Because I actually probably will at this point. Because uh, I, don't, I don't even use it, so who fucking cares? Like, it's not like I'm doing some big gesture. I'm not going to tweet that I deleted it, but I, I just don't want to have anything to do with this company anymore. Well, it's an ironic one, because I think I am done with Coinbase, but it's not because of the delete Coinbase movement. It's just because I've found it easier to just buy a little bits of Bitcoin in the Cash app, and I'd rather just like keep like every time I get new Bitcoin, put it into some sort of cold storage, and who cares where I'm buying it? And Coinbase no longer feels like the best place to buy it. All right, Cash app sponsor this podcast. Anything else uh, jump out at you this week? Oh, I just wanted to ask you something. This is not about any news that happened, but you know, I every year my friends from high school and college and I go on a trip to Las Vegas to watch the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Wow, it sounds like a great trip. I didn't know you did that every year. Yeah, we go every year, and uh, we started. I think we started pretty young, like maybe I, I don't know how many years in a row we've gone, but there was a period of time where me and my friend from high school would go once a year and we were like 24 years old or something like that. So maybe it's been 15 years or something like that. And uh, the first thing is that when we would go before, we would see all these old guys who were getting hammered and, you know, like clearly it was their one weekend away from like their kid and family and they're just going hard and, you know, they're wearing like Butler University windbreakers and stuff like that. You're like, these are the biggest dorks in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's us now. <laughs> um 
But we have one of our our friends has quite a bit of Bitcoin, and we were trying to figure out if there is a way to turn that into casino chips. You know, and uh, what do you think? Do you think that's? Do, would you guess that that's possible or not possible? We're we're t- we're not talking about a small amount of money here. We're talking about like five figures. This is a friend who's much I mean, more wealthy. If there's than one pl- if there's one place I'd expect there to be a robust local bitcoins environment, it's Las Vegas. Yeah, right. So, like, how how would you go about doing that? Do you think? Like, if you had to guess, let's say that like I gave you twenty bitcoin and said, "All right." We're going to go to Las Vegas and you're going to gamble all of this and you're either going to go home with like half a million dollars or zero. Like, how would you go about converting that? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, you clearly don't want to do it through Coinbase. You could do it through Coinbase, but you would 100% know that that was being reported to the IRS and, it's, and tax. And, and how tax would you even do that? You know, like you'd, you just have, you'd have tra- to do like a wire transfer. Yeah, you'd have it transferred transfer, out yeah. from Coinbase to your bank account and then you'd go buy chips with your bank account. That's how you do it. But if you have, we know this, and this is something I've wanted to talk to you about on the show, actually, and I don't still feel like I totally understand it, but Bitcoin that is detached from KYC regulation is worth more than Bitcoin that is attached to KYC regulation. Oh, wait, so it's like unlocked phones, basically? Well, put it this way. Like, you can pay, remember that company <laughs> that we talked about? Like a <laughs> like a gun without a serial <laughs> with a serial number scratch. More or less, yeah. I, I, like we talked about how you can do that thing where you buy stuff on Amazon with Bitcoin, and then someone else buys it with cash, and you send the Bitcoin. Uh, they get like eighty eighty five cents on the dollar for that stuff. So that's like how much people are willing to go to crazy lengths to acquire Bitcoin in ways that don't involve. Coinbase or Gemini-style KYC uh, declaration. KYC, for our listeners, means know your customer. Uh, it's basically uh, corporate doxing. Yeah. Well, uh, just saying, like, the company knows who you are, what your name is, and, and if you generally what you're going to do If you it. do over a certain amount of business, that that business uh, can and will be reported to the IRS, and I think usually that threshold is about $10,000. So in the case yeah. of your... Uh, 5,100 Bitcoin stash, you'd like to be able to not do that. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you do the thing that you say, right, like you lose, what, like 4% or 5% right off the top, right, yep. for the transaction fee, you have to wait a few days for that money to show up into your bank account. Yes. You can only withdraw it within in $10,000 chunks, right, if you're on Coinbase or 25000 if you have a special account. And so if you're trying to take out, let's say, a hundred grand, it's gonna take four weeks to do. And every time you do it, you're gonna be losing both time. Every single thing that you do is gonna be reported. Yeah. And you're gonna be losing transaction fees. And then you have to wire that to the casino to buy a marker. At that point, you've basically lost whatever, you know, like the amount of money that you've lost in that transaction is equivalent to like, you know, being good at counting cards or something like that. And so, you know, you're 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 kind of screwed. So I my assumption was your assumption, Aaron, was that like Vegas casinos, which are not in good shape right now, would have very easy ways for customers who would talk to somebody like a casino host or somebody like that to convert Bitcoin to to a casino marker, like basically one for one without any sort of transaction fee because they want your business. But I found that that's not actually true. It's actually, you know, they're they're still pretty shy about it. Uh, I think that's maybe it's illegal not- is why it's not uh, possible. What's illegal? 
I think it's illegal for them to let you walk in with a hundred Bitcoin and turn that directly into poker chips without reporting it. Why? Why would that be illegal? It's just like an exchange of, or they could report it. Well, I what guess, what ha- what can... happens if you like? What happens if you wire in a a million dollars from like an anonymous Swiss bank account? I think that you could. Yeah, I think you could get that in chips, uh, and they would be discreet about it. I don't really know that much about how like Vegas's like internal know your customer kind of stuff works. I would imagine, at least for a smaller sum, that the simplest thing to do would be to exchange uh, the Bitcoin uh, via local Bitcoins for cash or for a person to transfer money directly to the casino. And that there's probably like uh, over-the-counter kind of like uh, whale greaser types who can help you out with an 100 Bitcoin transaction in which, you know, they vouch for you at the casino or their personal million dollars they keep at that casino, you know, comps your chips in, and then somehow you transfer the Bitcoin to them and they run some sort of a, like, large sort of uh, personal local Bitcoin services for well. I mean, that's you're starting to talk about whale business, right, when you're talking about just coming in with 100 Bitcoin worth of chips. Yeah, I mean that's what I think is the I, I look. I don't think this person is going to actually do it because it's too interesting. But I definitely sent him the local Bitcoin site, and I was like, just look for people in Vegas who have good reviews. And I think that that would actually probably work. Uh, it is a you know like I don't know like let's say it's fifty thousand dollars. I mean, would you feel comfortable meeting someone at like an IHOP and getting a briefcase of fifty thousand dollars and giving them a USB drive? I mean, that's that's essentially what it would be, right? I think that the larger transactions are heavily done with like a remote escrowed transfers more so than in-person meetings. I think in-person meetings, it's like like if you were doing a Bitcoin or two, I think you do it in you could potentially do it in an in-person meeting. Yeah, but then that once that money hits your bank account, you have it's like traced, right? Like people will be like, well, why? What is this fifty thousand dollars you got into your bank account? I would assume that if you were running this as like a Vegas shark, like kind of like, you know, like when Fredo goes to Vegas and he's just kind of like supposed to make sure everyone has a good time, you know, yeah. and like make sure yeah. that they they keep supplied in chips and drugs and uh, prostitutes, right? Like that's like a kind of a Vegas archetype, right? That like another service would be that like you have some sort of account that is, receives wire transfers and like, does basically a like over the counter crypto exchange. Yeah, I, that's actually I think that is basically it that there are some people who will do this for you there but that they're out of my general circle and of influence cuz I, I, I was just thinking about it and it's like okay so there are all these dudes who a lot of them who are involved in poker and gambling who have a ton of money now because of because of crypto like why would the casinos not just make it as easy as possible for them to come in and gamble that? And uh, the answer is there's one casino that will let you do it, but you can only do it. It's called the D, and it's downtown. But they only let you do it through the Bitcoin ATM, which obviously has huge fees as well, too. So I don't know. I think you're probably paying a fee somewhere along the line. Like if there's someone who wants to do this for only one or two percent fee, that's a that's a great partner. Most people are gonna want more like 10 to 15% to do something like this for you. Yeah, no. I Which, agree. hey, it's, look, uh, 
uh, that's less than you'd pay in uh, capital gains taxes. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, you don't have the headache of having to figure out what to do about it. So, but, but wait a know, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's say you win all this money, then you that money is still going to your bank account anyway from the casino. I mean, you could, you know, keep it in a shoebox somewhere. <laughs> this is what I don't understand about gambling. It's like the perfect <laughs> vessel for money laundering. I just don't quite understand sometimes like where the clean money comes out. The clean money, when you're leaving the casino, you'd want to put it back into Bitcoin, wouldn't you? Just hold all the Bitcoin. No. Yeah, I mean, you could. I, I just think there's probably OTC people who can who know how to do all this sort of stuff. Um, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting idea, just because uh, it sort of shows where Bitcoin is at in terms of adoption in these types of places. And I, I still don't quite. Maybe we just didn't say the secret word or something. You know, yeah. like maybe there is some way to get the casino host to do it for you, but uh, I don't know that secret word. If anyone knows, please email us. <laughs> this us. makes me think that me and you should set up like a weird, like in person Vegas crypto exchange called Fredo together. <laughs> what could go wrong? Have you seen the end of that movie? Be like, listen, no. <laughs> it's all about family. That's what I've heard the movie's about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything else you want to talk uh, about? I just want to talk about one thing before we go. Yes. Cryptopia is back. It has reopened. Ooh. Ooh. So it was actually supposed to reopen yesterday. Did you sign back on? Well, I went on. I went to sign on, and then I was that like still had that like weird like federal take, you know, like those like uh, seized by the FBI kind of notices that you you see on the internet occasionally. Sure, those are amazing yeah. for starters. They don't seem real. Yeah, I remember, still remember the day when uh, you know the online poker sites <laughs> got hit with that. So I went to take a screenshot of it. In our um, our Google Doc of things to talk about, bam, I'm wrong. Cryptopia one day late does reopen. I successfully logged on. The coins are there. They're there. Did not lose them. My sumo bag is alive. Wow, that's that's kind of amazing. Well, not wow. not only is my sumo still there, but uh, during its uh, period of cocoon where I have not had access to it, I've actually uh, accumulated two other coins. Uh, you remember Ryo coin. That was a fork yeah. of uh, Sumo. It's forked again with Anon coin. So now uh, I have an Anon coin bag in there too. Did they explain to you, did they explain what happened? They said they got hacked and that they lost a bunch of stuff and that they had to like shut down to like figure it out. They didn't say what they... I think that they lost, like, several of their more, like, legitimate altcoins. So I had, like, a good feeling that, like, no one is sitting there like, how can I steal the world's supply of sumo coin? I don't know. You did pump it a lot on this podcast. Well, now I'm <laughs> pumping it again. <laughs> how, so how much sumo coin do you I have? I have about 5,000 sumo coin. What? <laughs> How much is each one worth? Uh, presently, they're worth less than five cents each. Oh, so that's kind of a lot of money. Well, let me see. Let me see. I, I don't want to give you an imprecise uh, quote here on my bags. I always, uh, I always try and give you the most up-to-date uh, look at my holdings. Let's see. Sumo is trading for 3.6 cents right now from a... One year high was of it a, at ten dollars at some point. 
within the last year, it was a dollar thirty-four. It's a dollar thirty-four, so it's down ninety-eight. It's down ninety-four point two percent on the year. So there's nothing but space above us. If you're thinking about getting into Sumo Coin right now, none of this is mm-hmm. investment advice. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you violated. You've you just shilled a bag on our podcast for the first time in a long time. Well, the, that's either a sign that we're that Bitcoin is going up or it's going down. But if we're shilling, if we're shilling bags on this show, then uh, something's happening. Well, I'll say this: uh, I should immediately upon signing on to Cryptopia, my first instinct was to get my coins off of Cryptopia since Cryptopia had been seized by some sort of authorities until less than 24 hours before. There's nowhere to put Sumo coin. I think the developers were working on a wallet, but again, those developers all turned out to be one person with a different name, and I can't find the wallet anywhere. So even if I wanted to take my Sumo coin somewhere, I think the best I could do was just putting it on one other extremely shady altcoin exchange uh, that I'm like, Maybe I should take the lightning doesn't strike in one place twice view and leave them on Cryptopia. Can you actually sell the can you actually sell it? I don't well, like the when I tried to transfer it it said that transfers and all that stuff were still shut down. All I think you can do right now is transfer it to a different Cryptopia account. I I think the their markets have not yet opened. They're only like showing custodial like account stuff. But maybe they're opening soon. I'm not sure. Oh no, they are open. Okay, so I could sell it. There you go. I could sell it at from 3.6 cents a pop. Should I do it? Mm-hmm. No, you got to go down with. I got to go down with that ship. That's how I feel. And like, yeah. if like, even if Cryptopia stabilizes, we could easily see a a 2x on this coin. Come on, people, pick up some sumo. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't really see how you don't. I don't see how you don't. Uh, if you got rid of it, then we should just stop the podcast. Because <laughs> it, it signals, it signals that that there's been some loss of faith in shit coins for you, and we're all capitulating at that point. We should just do a different podcast. But let me ask you a question: uh, Would anything yeah. get you back into trading shit coins again? I'm not talking about like the the Kang line and like buying Bitcoin, which I think you've fully articulated your viewpoints on but like if i just told you like gamified trading is back and it's super easy to like pick these and and uh, get fine like 5x runs would you do it yeah i mean i mean come on you know like i i, I do a lot of i i feel like i'm more self-righteous on this sh- show than i am anywhere else in the world you know in terms of just being like i don't deal with that type of stuff Usually I'm crawling around in the mud, and uh, but in reality, of course. I mean, look if if there was a if there was if there was an alt spring, for example, let's say, and like one of our friends, let's say, like Ledger Status had gone 10x and you know on some bag, like there's no way I would stay out of that, uh, especially if it was easier than you know like signing up for Bitrex or something like that. If it was all app based, I would definitely be back in. I think this time around I would probably be a little bit more careful about making sure that the thing I was buying had some future beyond just trading. I don't know if that makes sense, but like uh, you know, just to say like, oh well maybe this will be like like Mimblewimble or something like that, where you can sort of see a world in which this thing will be a bigger deal than just a press release. 
But then again, that's what we said last time, and we just didn't follow. We just, you know, bought every dumb thing there was. But yeah, I mean, this morning you texted me and said that Ubik is up 50% or 40%. I was going to say, shouts to our guy, uh, Doug Kim, for uh, being a longtime Ubik holder. Uh, You must be having a good day. You'll know that Alt Spring has arrived when we have Doug Kim back on the program. He's like like the Groundhog in Groundhog's Day. Or like Alt Winter 7. Well, because basically we have Doug on every time there's a fork in the road and we're like, is this Alt Spring? And each time... Uh, we've just gotten pounded into the ground. Uh, it's been a uh, bad news from the hedgehog. Is this what uh, global warming or is going to be Groundhog. like, do you think? Like, do you think it's going to be, you know, like, oh, well, the weather's finally going to turn and then it just, you know, doesn't turn and gets worse like for end on end on end on end. Pretty like, much, it, yeah. I th- and the first time people are going to be like, it's fluky. Like, it's just a streak. This happens all the time. Then it's going to be like that for like three years. I mean, I do wonder, we don't talk about price on this show show very much anymore. I think that's for good reason. And I don't have really anything to say about it. But Jesus, like, are you getting like, I'm getting a little exhausted. This has been a long winter. Is it the winter though? It's been pretty stable, right? Yeah, it's been stable winter. It's like, yeah, temperatures have been like a consistent negative 10. (laughs) <laughs> you're like yeah it hasn't it hasn't we haven't had one of those negative 20 days for a long time all of those sources of clean water have been frozen yeah it's uh you're right there hasn't been a alt spring on the quad on the crypto quad uh where people bring out the hacky sacks in a very long time that alt spring on the campus quad episode we did was like a year ago or something <laughs> was it yeah. oh my god yeah, this sucks <laughs> Wow. Wasted our lives. What would this podcast be like if, you know, crypto wasn't just in an absolute death spiral the entire time we were doing it? I feel like it's like we started like a really successful like fan blog for like a team that's like for like the Cleveland Browns in like (laughs) 1972. Or like even the, we like started a Cleveland Cavaliers fan blog like, uh, you know, right before LeBron went to the Lakers. Exactly. <laughs> it seemed like it a like, good idea at the time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, at least we now know, like, we could probably, you know, make a weekly podcast about almost anything um, if we can stay with crypto this long, despite the depressing times around it. I'll see you next week. Yes. All right, later. Later. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, March 5th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $3,830. Hey, thanks for listening to Coin Talk. We're brought to you in partnership with Medium. Become a member of Medium. There's a lot of good writing about there, not just uh, apologies from CES. Uh, our, our episode was edited by James Nicholson. Uh, my co-host is Jay Kang. You can find all of our episodes at medium.com slash cointalk. That includes full transcripts. Uh, you can always get in touch with us. Hi at cointalk.show. Be back next week.